there, and welcome to this reading of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. This is my weekly podcast of audiobooks and bedtime stories to help you get a good night's rest. If you're enjoying this reading and you would like to hear the next part right now, that is currently available on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. For a few dollars a month, you get two readings every week, access to every episode so far, and you get to vote on what books I read next. So come and join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. But for now, let's go ahead and tuck you in and we'll continue from where we left off with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl. Chapter 11. The Miracle. Charlie entered the shop and laid the damp 50 pence on the counter. One Wonka's whipple scrumptious fudge mellow delight, he said, remembering how much he had loved the one he had on his birthday. The man behind the counter turned and reached behind him for the chocolate bar. Then he turned back and handed it to Charlie. Charlie grabbed it and quickly tore off the wrapper and took an enormous bite. Then he took another, and another, and, oh, the joy of being able to cram large pieces of something sweet and solid into one's mouth, the sheer blissful joy of being able to fill one's mouth with rich, solid food. "'You look like you wanted that one, Sonny,' the shopkeeper said pleasantly. Charlie nodded, his mouth bulging with chocolate. The shopkeeper put Charlie's change on the counter. "'Take it easy,' he said. "'It'll give you a tummy ache if you swallow it like that without chewing.' Charlie went on wolfing the chocolate. He couldn't stop, and in less than half a minute the whole thing had disappeared down his throat. He was quite out of breath, but he felt marvellously extraordinarily happy. He reached out a hand to take the change, then he paused. His eyes were just above the level of the counter. They were staring at the silver coins lying there. The coins were all five penny pieces. There were nine of them altogether. Surely it wouldn't matter if he spent just one more. I think he said quietly. I think I'll have just one more of those chocolate bars, the same kind as before, please. Why not? the shopkeeper said, reaching behind him again and taking another whipple-scrumptious fudge-mellow delight from the shelf. He laid it on the counter. Charlie picked it up and tore off the wrapper, and suddenly... From underneath the wrapper, there came a brilliant flash of gold. Charlie's heart stood still. "'It's a golden ticket!' screamed the shopkeeper, leaping about a foot in the air. "'You've got a golden ticket? You've found the last golden ticket? Hey, would you believe it? Come and look at this, everybody! The kids found Wonka's last golden ticket!' There it is. It's right here in his hands. It seemed as though the shopkeeper might be about to explode. In my shop, too, he yelled. He found it right here in my own little shop. Somebody call the newspapers quick. Let them know. Watch out now, Sonny. Don't tear it as you unwrap it. That thing's precious. 
In a few seconds, there was a crowd of about twenty people clustering around Charlie, and many more were pushing their way in from the street. Everybody wanted to get a look at the golden ticket and at the lucky finder. "'Where is it?' somebody shouted. "'Hold it up so all of us can see it.' "'There it is. There,' someone shouted. "'He's holding it in his hands. See the gold shining.' "'How did you find it? I'd like to know,' a large boy shouted angrily. Twenty bars a day I've been buying for weeks and weeks.' "'Think of all the free stuff he'll be getting,' another boy said enviously. "'A lifetime supply.' "'He'll need it, the skinny little shrimp,' a girl said, laughing. Charlie hadn't moved. He hadn't even unwrapped the golden ticket from around the chocolate. He was standing very still, holding it tightly with both hands while the crowd pushed and shouted all around him. He felt quite dizzy. There was a peculiar floating sensation coming over him as though he were floating up in the air like a balloon. His feet didn't seem to be touching the ground at all. He could hear his heart thumping away loudly somewhere in his throat. At that point, he became aware of a hand resting lightly on his shoulder. When he looked up, he saw a tall man standing over him. Listen, the man whispered. I'll buy it from you. I'll give you fifty pounds. How about it, eh? I'll give you a new bicycle, okay? Why, I'd give him two hundred pounds for that ticket, shouted a woman who was standing equally close. You want to sell that ticket for two hundred pounds, young man? That's quite enough of that, the shopkeeper shouted pushing his way through the crowd and taking Charlie firmly by the arm. Leave the kid alone. Make way there, let him out. And to Charlie, as he led him to the door, he whispered, Don't you let anybody have it. Take it straight home, quickly, before you lose it. Run all the way and don't stop till you get there. Understand? Charlie nodded. You know something, the shopkeeper said pausing and smiling at Charlie. I have a feeling you needed a break like this. I'm awfully glad you got it. Good luck to you, Sonny. Thank you, Charlie said, and off he went, running through the snow as fast as his legs would go. As he flew past Mr. Willy Wonka's factory, he turned and waved at it and sang out, I'll be seeing you. I'll be seeing you soon. And five minutes later, he arrived at his own home. Chapter 12 What it said on the golden ticket Charlie burst through the front door, shouting, Mother! 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 Mrs. Bucket was in the old grandparents' room, serving them their evening soup. Mother! yelled Charlie, rushing in on them like a hurricane. Look! I've got it! Look! Mother! Look! The last golden ticket. It's mine. I found some money in the street and I bought two bars of chocolate. And the second one has the golden ticket. And there were crowds of people all around me wanting to see it and the shopkeeper rescued me. I ran all the way home and here I am. It's the fifth golden ticket, mother. And I found it. Mrs. Bucket simply stood and stared. 
while the four grandparents, who were sitting up in bed balancing bowls of soup on their laps, all dropped their spoons with a clatter and froze against their pillows. For about ten seconds there was absolute silence in the room. Nobody dared to speak or move. It was a magic moment. Then, very softly, Grandpa Joe said, You're pulling our legs, Charlie, aren't you? You're having a little joke? I am not, cried Charlie, rushing up to the bed and holding out the large and beautiful golden ticket for him to see. Grandpa Joe leaned forward and took a close look, his nose almost touching the ticket. The others watched him, waiting for the verdict. Then, very slowly, with a slow and marvellous grin spreading all over his face, Grandpa Joe lifted his head and looked straight at Charlie. The colour was rushing to his cheeks, and his eyes were wide open, shining with joy. In the centre of each eye, right in the very centre in the black pupil, a little spark of wild excitement was slowly dancing. The old man took a deep breath, and suddenly, with no warning whatsoever, an explosion seemed to take place inside him. He threw up his arms and yelled, Yippee! And at the same time his long bony body rose up out of the bed, his bowl of soup went flying into the face of Grandma Josephine. In one fantastic leap, this old fellow of ninety-six and a half who hadn't been out of bed these last twenty years, jumped onto the floor and started doing a dance of victory in his pyjamas. Yippee, he shouted, three cheers for Charlie, hip hip hooray. And at this point, the door opened and Mr. Bucket walked into the room. He was cold and tired and he looked it. All day long he had been shoveling snow in the streets. Cripes, he cried, what's going on in here? It didn't take them long to tell him what had happened. I don't believe it, he said. It's not possible. Show him the ticket, Charlie, shouted Grandpa Joe, who was still dancing around the floor in striped pyjamas. Show your father the fifth and last golden ticket in the world. Let me see it, Charlie, Mr. Bucket said, collapsing into a chair and holding out his hand. Charlie came forward with the precious document. It was a very beautiful thing, this golden ticket having been made so it seemed from a sheet of pure gold, hammered out almost to the thinness of paper. On one side of it, printed by some clever method in jet black letters, was the invitation itself from Mr. Wonka. Read it aloud, said Grandpa Joe, climbing back into bed again at last. Let's all hear exactly what it says. Mr. Bucket held the lovely golden ticket up close to his eyes. His hands were trembling slightly, and he seemed to be overcome by the whole business. He took 
several deep breaths. He cleared his throat and said, All right, I'll read it. Here we go. Greetings to you, the lucky finder of this golden ticket from Mr. Willy Wonka. I shake you warmly by the hand. Tremendous things are in store for you. Many wonderful surprises await you. For now, I do invite you to come to my factory and be my guest for one whole day. You and all others who are lucky enough to find my golden tickets. I, Willy Wonka, will conduct you around the factory myself, showing you everything that there is to see. And afterwards, when it's time to leave, you'll be escorted home by a procession of large trucks. These trucks, I can promise you, will be loaded with enough delicious eatables to last you and your entire household for many years. If, at any time thereafter, you should run out of supplies, you have only to come back to the factory and show this golden ticket. I shall be happy to refill your cupboard with whatever you want. In this way, you'll be able to keep yourself supplied with tasty morsels for the rest of your life. But this is by no means the most exciting thing that will happen on the day of your visit. I am preparing other surprises that are even more marvellous and more fantastic for you and for all my beloved golden ticket holders. Mystic and marvellous surprises that will entrance, delight, intrigue, astonish and perplex you beyond measure. In your wildest dreams, you could not imagine that such things could happen to you. Just wait and see. And now, here are your instructions. The day I have chosen for the visit is the first day, the month of February. On this day, and on no other, you must come to the factory gate at ten o'clock sharp in the morning. Don't be late. You are allowed to bring with you either one or two members of your own family to look after you and to ensure that you don't get into mischief. One more thing, be certain to have this ticket with you, otherwise you will not be admitted. Signed, Willy Wonka. The first day of February, cried Mrs. Bucket. But that's tomorrow. Today is the last day of January, I know it is. Cripes, said Mr. Bucket. I think you're right. You're just in time, shouted Grandpa Joe. There's not a moment to lose. You must start making preparations at once. Wash your face, comb your hair, scrub your hands, brush your teeth, blow your nose, cut your nails, polish your shoes, iron your shirt, and for heaven's sake, get all that mud off of your trousers. You must get ready, my boy. You must get ready for the biggest day of your life. Now don't overexcite yourself, Grandpa, Mrs. Bucket said. And don't fluster poor Charlie. We must all try to keep very calm. Now the first thing to decide is this. Who is going to go to the factory with Charlie? I will, shouted Grandpa Joe, leaping out of bed once again. I'll take him. I'll look after him. You leave it to me. Mrs. Bucket smiled at the old man. She turned to her husband and said, how about you, dear? Don't you think you ought to go? Well, Mr. Bucket 
paused to think. No, I'm not so sure that I should. But you must. There's no must about it, my dear, Mr. Bucket said gently. Mind you, I'd love to go. It'll be tremendously exciting. But on the other hand, I believe that the person who really deserves to go, most of all, is Grandpa Joe himself. He seems to know more about it than we do. Provided, of course, that he feels well enough. Yippee! shouted Grandpa Joe, seizing Charlie by the hands and dancing around the room. He certainly seems well enough, Mrs. Bucket said, laughing. Yes, perhaps you're right after all. Perhaps Grandpa Joe should be the one to go with him. I certainly can't go myself and leave the other three old people alone in bed for a whole day. Hallelujah, yelled Grandpa Joe. Praise the Lord. At that point, there came a loud knock on the front door. Mr. Bucket went to open it, and the next moment swarms of journalists and photographers were pouring into the house. They had tracked down the finder of the fifth golden ticket, and now they all wanted to get the full story for the front pages of the morning papers. For several hours there was complete pandemonium in that little house, and it must have been nearly midnight before Mr. Bucket was able to get rid of them so that Charlie could go to bed. Chapter 13 The Big Day Arrives The sun was shining brightly on the morning of the big day, but the ground was still white with snow, and the air was very cold. Outside the gates of Wonka's factory, enormous crowds of people had gathered to watch the five lucky ticket holders going in. The excitement was tremendous. It was just before ten o'clock. The crowds were pushing and shouting, and police officers with arms linked were trying to hold them back from the gates. Right beside the gates, in a small group, carefully shielded from the crowds by the police, stood the five famous children, together with the grown-ups who had come with them. The tall, bony figure of Grandpa Joe could be seen standing quietly amongst them, and beside him, holding tightly onto his hand, was little Charlie Bucket himself. All the children, except Charlie, had their parents with them, and it was a good thing that they had, otherwise the whole party might have got out of hand. They were so eager to get going that their parents were having to hold them back by force to prevent them from climbing over the gates. Be patient, they cried. Be still. It's not time yet. It's not ten o'clock. Behind him, Charlie Bucket could hear the shouts of the people in the crowd as they pushed and fought to get a glimpse of the famous children. There's Violet Beauregard, he heard someone shout. That's her, all right. I can remember her face from the newspapers. And you know what? Somebody shouted. She's still chewing that dreadful old piece of gum. She's had it for three months. You look at her jaws. They're still working on it. That's Augustus Gloop. So it is. Fantastic. Who's the kid with the picture of the Lone Ranger stenciled on his jacket? That's Mike TV. He's the television fiend. The one I want to see is Veruca Salt, shouted a voice in the crowd. 
She's the girl whose father brought up half a million chocolate bars and made the workers in his peanut factory unwrap every one of them until they found a golden ticket. He gives her anything she wants, absolutely anything. She only has to start screaming for it and she gets it. Dreadful, isn't it? Shocking, I call it. Which do you think is her? That one, over there on the left. The little girl in the silver mink coat. Which one is Charlie Bucket? Charlie Bucket? He must be that skinny little shrimp, standing beside the old fellow who looks like a skeleton. Very close to us. Just there. See him? Why hasn't he got a coat on in this cold weather? Don't ask me. Maybe you can't afford to buy one. Goodness me. He must be freezing. Charlie, standing only a few paces away from the speaker, gave Grandpa Joe's hand a squeeze. The old man looked down at Charlie and smiled. Somewhere in the distance, a church clock began striking ten. Very slowly, with a loud creaking of rusty hinges, the great iron gates of the factory began to swing open. The crowd became suddenly silent. The children stopped jumping about. All eyes were fixed upon the gates. There he is, somebody shouted. That's him. And so it was. Chapter 14 Mr. Willy Wonka Mr. Wonka was standing all alone just inside the open gates of the factory. And what an extraordinary little man he was. He had a black top hat on his head. He wore a tailcoat made of beautiful plum-coloured velvet. His trousers were bottle green. His gloves were pearly grey. And in one hand he carried a fine gold-topped walking cane. Covering his chin was a small, neat, pointed black beard, a goatee, and his eyes. His eyes were most marvellously bright. They seemed to be sparkling and twinkling at you all the time. The whole face, in fact, was alight with fun and laughter. And oh, how clever he looked, how quick and sharp and full of life. He kept making quick, jerky little movements with his head, cocking it this way and that, taking everything in with those bright, twinkling eyes. He was like a squirrel in the quickness of his movements, like a quick, clever old squirrel from the park. Suddenly, he did a funny little skipping dance in the snow, spread his arms wide, and smiled at the five children clustered near the gates. He called out, Welcome, my little friends, welcome to the factory. His voice was high and fluty. Will you come forward one at a time, please, he called out, and bring your parents. Then show me your golden ticket and give me your name. Who's first? A boy stepped up. I'm Augustus Gloop, he said. Augustus, cried Mr. Wonka, seizing his hand and pumping it up and down with terrific force. My dear boy, how good to see you, delighted, charmed, overjoyed to have you with us. 
And these are your parents? How nice. Come in, come in, that's right, step through the gates. Mr. Wonka was clearly just as excited as everybody else. My name, said the next child to go forward, is Veruca Salt. My dear Veruca, how do you do? What a pleasure this is. You do have an interesting name, don't you? I always thought that a Veruca was a sort of wart that you got on the sole of your foot. But I must be wrong, mustn't I? How pretty you look in that lovely mink coat. I'm so glad you could come. Dear me, this is going to be such an exciting day. I do hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. I know you will. Your father? How are you, Mr. Salt? And Mrs. Salt? Overjoyed to see you. Yes, the ticket is quite in order. Please, go in. The next two children, Violet Beauregard and Mike TV, came forward to have their tickets examined, and then to have their arms practically pumped off their shoulders by the energetic Mr. Wonka. And last of all, a small, nervous voice whispered, Charlie Bucket. Charlie, cried Mr. Wonka. Well, well, well. So there you are. You're the one who found your ticket only yesterday, aren't you? Yes, yes. I read all about it in this morning's papers. Just in time, my dear boy. I'm so glad. I'm so happy for you. And this, your grandfather, delighted to meet you, sir. Overjoyed. Enraptured. Enchanted. All right. Excellent. Is everybody in now? Five children? Yes. Good. Now, will you please follow me? Our tour is about to begin, but do keep together. Please don't wander off by yourselves. I shouldn't like to lose any of you at this stage of the proceedings. Oh dear me, no. Charlie glanced back over his shoulder and saw the great iron entrance gate slowly closing behind him. The crowds on the outside were still pushing and shouting. Charlie took a last look at them. Then, as the gates closed with a clang, all sight of the outside world disappeared. Here we are, cried Mr. Wonka, trotting along in front of the group. Through this big red door, please. That's right. It's nice and warm inside. I have to keep it warm inside the factory because of the workers. My workers are used to an extremely hot climate. They can't stand the cold. They'd perish if they went outdoors in this weather. They'd freeze to death. But who are these workers? asked Augustus Gloop. All in good time, my dear boy, said Mr. Wonka, smiling at Augustus. Be patient. You shall see everything as we go along. Are all of you inside? Good. Would you mind closing the door? Thank you. Charlie Bucket found himself standing in a long corridor stretched away in front of him as far as he could see. The corridor was so wide that a car could have easily been driven along it. The walls were pale pink. The lighting was soft and pleasant. How lovely and warm, whispered Charlie. I know. And what a marvellous smell, answered Grandpa Joe, taking a long, deep sniff. All the most wonderful smells in the world seemed to be mixed up in the air around them. The smell of roasting coffee, burnt sugar, melting chocolate, 
and mint and violets and crushed hazelnuts and apple blossom and caramel and lemon peel and far away in the distance from the heart of the great factory came a muffled roar of energy as though some monstrous gigantic machine were spinning its wheels at breakneck speed. Now this, my dear children, said Mr. Wonka, raising his voice above the noise, this is the main corridor. Will you please hang your coats and hats on those pegs over there and follow me? That's the way. Good. Everyone ready? Come on then. Here we go. He trotted off rapidly down the corridor with the tails of the plum-coloured velvet coat flapping behind him. The visitors all hurried after him. It was quite a large party of people when you came to think of it. There were nine grown-ups and five children, fourteen in all. So you can imagine there was a good deal of pushing and shoving as they hustled and bustled down the passage, trying to keep up with the swift little figure in front of them. "'Come on!' cried Mr. Wonka. "'Get a move on, please. We'll never get round today if you dawdle like this.' Soon he turned right off the main corridor into another slightly narrower passage. Then he turned left, then left again, then right, then left, then right, then right, then left. The place was like a gigantic rabbit warren, with passages leading this way and that in every direction. "'Don't you let go of my hand, Charlie,' whispered Grandpa Joe. "'Notice how all these passages are sloping downwards,' called out Mr. Wonka. "'We are now going underground. "'All the most important rooms in my factory are deep down below the surface.' "'Why is that?' somebody asked. "'There wouldn't be nearly enough space for them up on top,' answered Mr. Wonka. "'These rooms we're going to see are enormous. "'They're larger than football fields.' No building in the world would be big enough to house them. But down here, underneath the ground, I've got all the space I want. There's no limit, so long as I hollow it out. Mr. Wonka turned right. He turned left. He turned right again. The passages were sloping steeper and steeper downhill now. Then suddenly, Mr. Wonka stopped. In front of him, there was a shiny metal door. The party crowded round. On the door, in large letters, it said, The Chocolate Room. Chapter 15. The Chocolate Room. An important room, this, cried Mr. Wonka, taking a bunch of keys from his pocket and slipping one into the keyhole of the door. This is the nerve centre of the whole factory, the heart of the whole business, and so beautiful. I insist upon my rooms being beautiful. I can't abide ugliness in factories. In we go, but do be careful. My dear children, don't lose your heads. Don't get overexcited. Keep very calm. Mr. Wonka opened the door. Five children and nine grown-ups pushed their ways in, and, oh, 
What an amazing sight it was that now met their eyes. They were looking down upon a lovely valley. There were green meadows on either side of the valley, and along the bottom of it there flowed a great brown river. What is more, there was a tremendous waterfall halfway along the river, a steep cliff over which the water curled and rolled in a solid sheet and went crashing down into a boiling, churning whirlpool of froth and spray. Below the waterfall, and this was the most astonishing sight of all, a whole mass of enormous glass pipes were dangling down into the river from somewhere high up in the ceiling. They really were enormous, those pipes. There must have been a dozen of them at least and they were sucking up the brownish, muddy water from the river, carrying it away to goodness knows where. And because they were made of glass, you could see the liquid flowing and bubbling along inside them, and above the noise of the waterfall you could hear the never-ending suck-suck-sucking sound of the pipes as they did their work. Graceful trees and bushes were growing along the riverbanks, Weeping willows and alders and tall clumps of rhododendrons with their pink and red and mauve blossoms. In the meadows there were thousands of buttercups. There, cried Mr. Wonka, dancing up and down and pointing his gold-topped cane at the great brown river. It's all chocolate. Every drop of that river is hot melted chocolate of the finest quality. The very finest quality. There's enough chocolate in there to fill every bathtub in the entire country. And all the swimming pools as well. Isn't it terrific? And just look at my pipes. They suck up the chocolate and carry it away to all the other rooms in the factory where it's needed. Thousands of gallons an hour, my dear children. Thousands and thousands of gallons. The children and their parents were too flabbergasted to speak. They were staggered. They were awestruck. They were bewildered and dazzled. They were completely bowled over by the hugeness of this whole thing. They simply stood and stared. The waterfall is most important, Mr. Wonka went on. It mixes the chocolate. It churns it up. It pounds it and it beats it. It makes it light and frothy. No other factory in the world mixes its chocolate by waterfall, but it's the only way to do it properly. The only way. And do you like my trees? he cried, pointing with his stick. And my lovely bushes. Don't you think they look pretty? I told you I hated ugliness. And of course they are all eatable, all made of some different and delicious thing. Do you like my meadows? Do you like my grass and my buttercups? The grass you are standing on, my dear little ones, is made of a new kind of soft minty sugar that I have just invented. I call it swudge. Try a blade. Please do. It's delectable. Automatically, everybody bent down and picked one blade of grass. Everybody, that is, except Augustus Gloop, who took a big handful and Violet Beauregard, before tasting her blade of grass, took the piece of world-record-breaking chewing gum out of her mouth, and stuck it carefully behind her ear. 
Isn't it wonderful? whispered Charlie. Hasn't it got a wonderful taste, Grandpa? I could eat the whole field, said Grandpa Joe, grinning with delight. I could go around on all fours like a cow and eat every blade of grass in the field. Try a buttercup, cried Mr. Wonka. They're even nicer. Suddenly the air was filled with screams of excitement. The screams came from Veruca Salt. She was pointing frantically to the other side of the river. Look, look over there, she screamed. What are they? They're moving. Look, a little person, down there, below the waterfall. Everybody stopped picking buttercups and stared across the river. She's right, Grandpa, cried Charlie. It is a little person. Can you see them? I see them, Charlie, said Grandpa Joe excitedly. And now everybody started shouting at once. There's two of them. My gosh, so there is. There's more than two. There's one, two, three, four, five. What are they doing? Where do they come from? Who are they? Children and parents alike rushed down to the edge of the river to get a closer look. The little people had stopped what they were doing, and now they were staring back across the river at the visitors. One of them pointed towards the children, and then they whispered something to the other four, and all five of them burst into peals of laughter. "'I've never seen anyone like them before,' Charlie said. "'Of course not,' Mr. Wonka answered. "'They're Oompa Loompas.'" Chapter 16 The Oompa Loompas "'Oompa Loompas,' everyone said at once. "'Oompa Loompas,' said Mr. Wonka proudly. "'They come from Lumpaland. "'There's no such place,' said Mrs. Salt. "'Excuse me, dear lady, but Mr. Wonka,' cried Mrs. Salt, "'I'm a teacher of geography.' "'Then you'll know all about it,' said Mr. Wonka. "'And, oh, what a terrible country it is! "'Nothing but thick jungles infested by the most dangerous beasts in the world. "'Hornswogglers, snozwangers, and those terrible wicked wangdoodles. "'A wangdoodle would eat ten umpa for breakfast "'and come galloping back for a second helping. "'When I went out there, I found the umpa living in tree-houses.' They had to live in tree-houses to escape from the wangdoodles and the hornswogglers and the snozwangers, and they were living on green caterpillars, which tasted revolting. And the umpalumpas spent every moment of their days looking for other things to mash up with the caterpillars to make them taste better. Red beetles, for instance, and eucalyptus leaves, all of them beastly, but not quite so beastly as the caterpillars. The one food that they longed for more than any other was the cacao bean, but they couldn't get it, and Oompa Loompa was lucky if they found three or four cacao beans a year. How they craved them! They used to dream about cacao beans all night, and talk about them all day. The cacao bean, Mr. Wonka continued, which grows on the cacao tree. It happens to be the thing from which all chocolate is made. You cannot make chocolate without the cacao bean. The cacao bean is chocolate. I myself use billions of cacao beans every week in the factory, and so, my dear children, as soon as I discovered the Oompa loved this particular food, I decided to speak to their leader. 
The fellow was sitting there, trying to eat a bowl of mashed-up green caterpillars without being sick. Look here, I said, speaking not in English, of course, but in umpalumpish. Look here, if you and the other umpalumpers would like to come with me and live in my factory, you can have all the cacao beans you want. I've got mountains of them in my storehouses. You can have cacao beans for every meal. I'll even pay your wages in cacao beans rather than pounds, if you wish. You really mean it? asked the umpalumpa leader, leaping up from his chair. Of course I mean it, I said. And you can have chocolate as well. Chocolate tastes even better than cacao beans because it's got milk and sugar added. The little man gave a great whoop of joy and threw his bowl of mashed caterpillars right out the treehouse window. Let's go and ask the others, but I think it's a deal, he cried. Come on. So they all agreed to come over, each and every Oompa Loompa. They've told me they love it here. They are wonderful workers. They love dancing and music. They are always making up songs. I expect you will hear a good deal of singing today from time to time. I must warn you, though, they are rather mischievous. They do like jokes. Daddy, shouted Veruca Salt, the girl who got everything that she wanted. Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa. I want you to get me an Oompa Loompa. I want an Oompa Loompa right away. Go on, Daddy, get me an Oompa Loompa. Now, now, my pet, her father said to her, we mustn't interrupt Mr. Wonka. But I want an Oompa Loompa, screamed Veruca. All right, Veruca, all right, but I can't get one for you this second. Please be patient. I'll see that you have one before this day is out. Augustus, shouted Mrs. Gloop. Augustus, sweetheart, I don't think you had better do that. Augustus Gloop, as you might have guessed, had quietly sneaked down to the edge of the river. He was now kneeling on the riverbank, scooping hot, melted chocolate into his mouth as fast as he could. Chapter 17 Augustus Gloop Goes Up the Pipe When Mr. Wonka turned round and saw what Augustus Gloop was doing, he cried out, Oh no, please, Augustus, please, I beg of you not to do that. My chocolate must be untouched by human hands. Augustus, called out Mrs. Gloop, didn't you hear what the man said? Come away from that river at once. This stuff is fabulous, said Augustus, taking not the slightest notice of his mother or Mr. Wonka. Gosh, I need a bucket to drink it properly. Augustus, cried Mr. Wonka, hopping up and down and waggling his stick in the air, you must come away, you are dirtying my chocolate. Augustus, cried Mrs. Gloop, Augustus, cried Mr. Gloop, but Augustus was ignoring everything. He was lying full length on the ground with his head far out over the river, lapping up the chocolate like a dog. Augustus, shouted Mrs. Gloop, you'll be giving that nasty cold of yours to about a million people all over the country. Be careful, Augustus, shouted Mr. Gloop, you're leaning too far out. Mr. Gloop was absolutely right, for suddenly there was a shriek 
and then a splash, and into the river went Augustus Gloop, and in one second he had disappeared under the brown surface. "'Save him!' screamed Mrs. Gloop, waving her umbrella about. "'He'll drown. He can't swim a yard. Save him! Save him!' "'Good heavens, woman!' said Mr. Gloop. "'I'm not diving in there. I've got my best suit on.' Augustus Gloop's face came up again to the surface, painted brown with chocolate. "'Help! Help!' he yelled. "'Fish me out!' "'Don't just stand there!' Mrs. Gloop screamed at Mr. Gloop. "'Do something!' "'I am doing something,' said Mr. Gloop, who was now taking off his jacket and getting ready to dive into the chocolate. But while he was doing this, the wretched boy was being sucked closer and closer towards the mouth of one of the great pipes dangling down into the river. Then, all at once, the powerful suction took hold of him completely, and he was pulled under the surface and then into the mouth of the pipe. The crowd on the riverbank waited breathlessly to see where he would come out. "'There he goes,' somebody shouted, pointing upwards. And sure enough, because the pipe was made of glass, Augustus Gloop could be seen, shooting up inside it headfirst like a torpedo. "'Help! Murder! Police!' screamed Mrs. Gloop. "'Augustus, come back at once! Where are you going?' "'It's a wonder to me,' said Mr. Gloop, "'how that pipe's big enough for him to go through it.' "'It isn't big enough,' said Charlie Bucket. "'Oh, dear, look! He's slowing down!' "'So he is,' said Grandpa Joe. "'He's going to stick,' said Charlie. "'I think he is,' said Grandpa Joe. "'By golly, he has stuck,' said Charlie. "'It's his stomach that's done it,' said Mr. Gloop. "'He's blocked the whole pipe,' said Grandpa Joe. "'Smash the pipe,' yelled Mrs. Gloop, waving her umbrella. "'Augustus, come out of there at once.' The watchers below could see the chocolate swishing around the boy in the pipe. They could see it building up behind him in a solid mass, pushing against the blockage. The pressure was terrific. Something had to give. Something did give. And that something was Augustus. Oof, up he shot like a bullet in the barrel of a gun. He's disappeared, yelled Mrs. Gloop. "'Where does that pipe go to? Call the fire brigade.' "'Keep calm,' cried Mr. Wonka. "'Keep calm, my dear lady, keep calm. "'There is no danger, no danger whatsoever. "'Augustus has gone on a little journey. "'That's all, a most interesting little journey. "'But he'll come out of it just fine. "'You wait and see.' "'How can he possibly come out just fine?' snapped Mrs. Gloop. "'He'll be made into marshmallows in five seconds.' Impossible, cried Mr. Wonka. Unthinkable, inconceivable, absurd. He could never be made into marshmallows. And why not? May I ask? shouted Mrs. Gloop. Because that pipe doesn't go anywhere near it. That pipe, the one Augustus went up, happens to lead directly to the room where I make a most delicious kind of strawberry-flavoured chocolate-covered fudge. "'Then he'll be made into strawberry-flavoured chocolate-coated fudge,' screamed Mrs. Gloop. "'My poor Augustus. They'll be selling him by the pound all over the country tomorrow morning.' 
quite right, said Mr. Gloop. I know I'm right, said Mrs. Gloop. It's beyond a joke, said Mr. Gloop. Mr. Wonka doesn't seem to think so, cried Mrs. Gloop. Look at him, laughing his head off. How dare you laugh like that when my boy's just gone up the pipe? You monster! She shrieked and pointed her umbrella at Mr. Wonka as though she were going to run him through. You think it's a joke, do you? You think sucking my boy up into your fudge-room like that's just one great big colossal joke? He'll be perfectly safe, said Mr. Wonka, giggling slightly. He'll be chocolate fudge, shouted Mrs. Gloop. Never, cried Mr. Wonka. Of course he will, yelled Mrs. Gloop. I wouldn't allow it, said Mr. Wonka. And why not, said Mrs. Gloop. Because the taste would be terrible, said Mr. Wonka. Imagine it. Augustus-flavoured chocolate-coated gloop. No one would buy it. They most certainly would, cried Mr. Gloop indignantly. I don't want to think about it, shouted Mrs. Gloop. Nor do I, said Mr. Wonka. And I do promise you, madam, your darling boy is perfectly safe. If he's perfectly safe, then where is he? Lead me to him this instant, snapped Mrs. Gloop. Mr. Wonka turned around as an umpa lumper appeared, as if from nowhere, and stood beside him. Now, listen to me, said Mr. Wonka, looking down at the man. I want you to take Mr. and Mrs. Gloop up to the fudge room and help them to find their son, Augustus. He's just gone up the pipe. The umpa lumper took one look at Mrs. Gloop and exploded into peals of laughter. Oh, do be quiet, said Mr. Wonka. Control yourself. Pull yourself together. Mrs. Gloop doesn't think it's at all funny. You can say that again, said Mrs. Gloop. Go straight to the fudge room, Mr. Wonka said. And when you get there, take a long stick. Start poking around inside the big chocolate mixing barrel. I'm almost certain you'll find him in there. But you'd better look sharp. You'll have to hurry. If you leave him in the chocolate mixing barrel for too long, he's liable to get poured out into the fudge boiler. And that really would be a disaster, wouldn't it? My fudge would become quite uneatable. Mrs. Gloop let out a shriek of fury. I'm joking, said Mr. Wonka, giggling wildly behind his beard. I didn't mean it. Forgive me, I'm so sorry. Goodbye, Mrs. Gloop, and Mr. Gloop, goodbye. I'll see you later. As Mr. and Mrs. Gloop and their tiny escort hurried away, the five Oompa Loompas on the far side of the river suddenly began hopping and dancing about, beating wildly upon a number of very small drums. Augustus Gloop, they chanted. Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop. Grandpa, said Charlie. Listen to them, Grandpa. What are they doing? Shh whispered Grandpa Joe. I think they're going to sing us a song. Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, the great big greedy nincompoop, for one such child as vile as he, bad things happen, wait and see. We cannot say we are surprised. Augustus Gloop had been advised, but then he took another sip, and now he's going on a trip. Cover your eyes, cross your toes, whoosh, swoosh, off he goes. Come on, we cried, the time is ripe to send him shooting up the pipe. He has to go, it has to be, and very soon he's going to see 
inside the room to which he's gone some funny things are going on but don't dear children be alarmed augustus gloop will not be harmed although of course we must admit he will be altered quite a bit he'll be quite changed from what he's been when he goes through the fudge machine slowly the wheels go round and round the cogs begin to grind and pound a hundred knives go slice 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 we add some sugar cream and spice we boil him for a minute more until we're absolutely sure that all the greed and all the gall is boiled away for once and all and out he comes and now by grace a miracle has taken place this boy who only just before was loathed by men from shore to shore this greedy brute this louse's ear is loved by people everywhere for who could hate or bear a grudge against a luscious bit of fudge i told you they loved singing cried mr wonka aren't they delightful aren't they charming but you mustn't believe a word of what they said it's all nonsense every bit of it are the Impalumpas really joking, Grandpa? asked Charlie. Of course they're joking, answered Grandpa Joe. They must be joking. At least, I hope they're joking. Don't you? Chapter 18 Down the Chocolate River Off we go, cried Mr. Wonka. Hurry up, everybody, follow me to the next room. And please, don't worry about Augustus Gloop. He's bound to come out in the wash. They always do. We shall have to make the next part of the journey by boat. Here she comes. Look. A steamy mist was rising up now from the great warm chocolate river, and out of the mist there appeared suddenly a most fantastic pink boat. It was a large open rowboat with a tall front and a tall back, like a Viking boat of old and it was such a shining, sparkling, glistening pink colour that the whole thing looked as though it were made of bright pink glass. There were oars on either side of it, and as the boat came closer, the watchers on the riverbank could see Oompa Loompas were in charge of navigating it. "'This is our private yacht,' cried Mr. Wonka, beaming with pleasure. "'I made it by hollowing out an enormous boiled sweet.' Isn't it beautiful? See how it comes cutting through the river. The gleaming pink boiled sweet boat glided up to the riverbank. One hundred umpalumpas rested on their oars and stared up at the visitors. Then suddenly, for some reason best known to themselves, they all burst into shrieks of laughter. What's so funny? asked Violet Beauregard. Oh, don't worry about them, cried Mr. Wonka. They're always laughing. They think everything's a colossal joke. Jump into the boat, all of you. Come on, hurry up. As soon as everyone was safely in, the Umpalumpas pushed the boat away from the bank and began to row swiftly downriver. Hey there, Mike TV, shouted Mr. Wonka. Please do not lick the boat with your tongue. It'll only make it sticky. Daddy, said Veruca Salt, I want a boat like this. I want you to buy me a big pink boiled sweet boat exactly like Mr. Wonka's. And I want lots of Oompa to row me about. And I want a chocolate river. And I want... I want... She needs to learn some manners, 
whispered Grandpa Joe to Charlie. The old man was sitting in the back of the boat, and little Charlie Bucket was right beside him. Charlie was holding tightly onto his grandfather's bony old hand. He was in a whirl of excitement. Everything he had seen so far, the great chocolate river, the waterfall, the huge sucking pipes, the minty sugar meadows, the umpalumpas, the beautiful pink boat, and most of all Mr. Willy Wonka himself had been so astonishing that he began to wonder whether there could possibly be any more astonishments left. Where were they going now? What were they going to see? And what in the world was going to happen in the next room? Isn't it marvellous, said Grandpa Joe, grinning at Charlie. Charlie nodded and smiled up at the old man. Suddenly, Mr. Wonka, who was sitting on Charlie's other side, reached down into the bottom of the boat, picked up a large mug, dipped it into the river, filled it with chocolate, and handed it to Charlie. Drink this, he said. It'll do you good. You look starved to death. Mr. Wonka filled a second mug and gave it to Grandpa Joe. You too, he said. You look like a skeleton. What's the matter? Hasn't there been anything to eat in your house lately? Not much, said Grandpa Joe. Charlie put the mug to his lips. The rich, warm, creamy chocolate ran down his throat into his empty tummy. His whole body from head to toe began to tingle with pleasure. A feeling of intense happiness spread over him. You like it? asked Mr. Wonka. Oh, it's wonderful, Charlie said. The creamiest, loveliest chocolate I've ever tasted, said Grandpa Joe, smacking his lips. That's because it's been mixed by waterfall, Mr. Wonka told him. The boat sped on down the river. The river was getting narrower. There was some kind of a dark tunnel ahead, a great round tunnel that looked like an enormous pipe, and the river was running into the tunnel, and so was the boat. "'Row on!' shouted Mr. Wonka, jumping up and waving his stick in the air. Full speed ahead, and with the Oompa rowing faster than ever, the boat shot into the pitch-dark tunnel. All the passengers screamed with excitement. "'How can they see where they're going?' shrieked Violet Beauregard in the darkness. "'There's no knowing where they're going,' cried Mr. Wonka, hooting with laughter. "'There's no earthly way of knowing which direction they are going. "'There's no knowing where they're rowing or which way the river's flowing. "'Not a speck of light is showing, so the danger must be growing, "'for the rowers keep on rowing, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. He's gone off his rocker, shouted one of the fathers aghast, and the other parents joined in the chorus of frightened shouting. He's barmy, they shouted. He's nutty. He's screwy. He's batty. He's dippy. He's dotty. He's daffy. He's goofy. He's beany. He's buggy. He's wacky. He's loony. No, he's not, said Grandpa Joe. "'Switch on the lights!' shouted Mr. Wonka, 
and suddenly on came the lights. The whole tunnel was brilliantly lit up. Charlie could see that they were indeed inside a gigantic pipe. The great upward-curving walls of the pipe were pure white, spotlessly clean. The river of chocolate was flowing very fast inside the pipe, and the umpalumpas were all rowing frantically. The boat was rocketing along at a furious pace. Mr. Wonka was jumping up and down in the back of the boat and calling to the rowers to row faster and faster still. He seemed to love the sensation of whizzing through a white tunnel in a pink boat on a chocolate river. He clapped his hands and laughed and kept glancing at his passengers to see if they were enjoying it as much as he. Look, Grandpa, cried Charlie, there's a door in the wall. It was a green door and it was set into the wall of the tunnel, just above the level of the river. As they flashed past it, there was just enough time to read the writing on the door. Storeroom number 54, it said. All the creams, dairy cream, whipped cream, violet cream, coffee cream, pineapple cream, vanilla cream, and hair cream. Hair cream, cried Mike TV. You don't use hair cream. Row on, shouted Mr. Wonka. There's no time to answer silly questions. They streaked past a black door. Storeroom number 71, it said on it. Whips, all shapes and sizes. Whips, cried Veruca Salt. What on earth do you use whips for? For whipping cream, of course, said Mr. Wonka. How can you whip cream without any whips? Whipped cream isn't whipped cream at all unless it's been whipped with whips. Just as a poached egg isn't a poached egg unless it's been stolen from the woods in the dead of night. Row on, please. They passed a yellow door on which it said, Storeroom number 77. All of the beans, cacao beans, coffee beans, jelly beans, and has-beens. Has beans, cried Violet Beauregard. You're one yourself, said Mr. Wonka. No time for arguing. Press on, press on. But five seconds later, when a bright red door came into sight ahead, he suddenly waved his gold-topped cane in the air and shouted, Stop the boat. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep. And on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory.